Hey friends, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Kent Cartridge. Uh, I've got a man, I've got a lot of history with this brand, going back to my college days when I was waiting tables just to fund my duck hunting addiction. That's when I first discovered Kent, and uh, I'd mess around with other brands, cheaper brands, and literally watch the pellets bounce off of greenheads. Uh, I found Kent, and I fell in love. And nothing's changed over the last 20 years except for, well, I'd say Fast Steel 2.0 is even better than the original. And Kent offers a premium shell at a sub-premium price. Check it out. It's Fast Steel 2.0. You can find it at your local retailer. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born and more, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists Think about that, targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. Wait for me, darling. Your luck is on my side. I want to see you rise in the morning. Lay down the night. If next time ever comes, I'll be the one, I'll be the one. When all is said and done, I'll be the Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith, welcome everybody into episode, what is this, uh, 651 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor. To be talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So, appreciate each and every one of you more than you know. Um, man, hopefully y'all had a chance to make it out for the uh, rifle opener if you're hunting Texas. Which, interestingly enough, uh, yeah, this started out as a Texas-based outdoor show back in 2009. And the word podcast really <laughs> didn't even exist back then. Uh, just a little old radio show. Uh, blessed now to have uh, a network of over 20 stations that carry the program. Uh, about half of you tune in on the radio. The other half check out the podcast. And half of you don't even hail from Texas. So lots of out-of-state listeners. And there's a reason for that. I, you know, I've expanded my horizons as a hunter and angler and conservationist over the years and so uh, I'm interested in many many things actually anything having to do with hunting or fishing anywhere around the world uh, I want to experience it all or at the very least have knowledge on it all um, so thank you for tuning in regardless of where you are from and like I said Texas we just had our rifle opener um, maybe in your state you already had your rifle opener or maybe you're out west and you know you really dedicate most of your fall to muleys and elk 
that's awesome too. Uh, I love it. And actually, I'm headed to uh, Mexico for a mule deer hunt coming up in January. Cannot wait for that. Uh, But regardless of where you're from, thanks for being here. Uh, There's no place I'd rather be than right here with you guys. We've got a great show lined up for you today. You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we'll be joined by Angie Kokish, whom I just became aware of uh, from an Outdoor Life piece regarding her spear hunting prowess. And so that triggers a lot of reaction in people, both hunters and non-hunters, uh, spear hunting, huh? Is that really ethical? Should we be doing that in 2022? Uh, I think it's awesome if you're proficient with the spear, but what goes into gaining that level of expertise to be able to stock up on a mature whitetail buck and kill it in its bed with a spear? Do you know how close you have to get? Uh, but yeah, she did that. <laughs> and uh, she's speared many other animals as well. And so um, we'll talk about the the challenges you know she faces dealing with the haters on the uh, the ethics side if you want if you want to call it questionable which I don't if you're killing the animal quickly and cleanly and it's legal more power to you uh, so interesting stuff coming up with Angie then we will talk some upland hunting specifically Bob White quail with Quail Tech Alliances Doctor. Brad Dabbert, who has been on the show before, uh, but some interesting research that they just wrapped up, and also, um, what's the quail forecast for this fall? So, cool Bob White stuff coming up with Dr. Dabbert. Um, That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. I guarantee you that. Let's knock out a quick giveaway today. It's sponsored by Havilon, and I've got a Havilon Paranta Skinning knife, uh, you know, it's the scalpel, the sharpest thing on the planet, and it's what I use to skin every big game animal that I take. Don't don't limit yourself to, to big game. I use it for ducks and dove and quail and everything. Uh, but yeah, got a Paranta, and we'll throw in a Havilon cap as well. Just email the word Bob White, that's Bob White, to Lone Star. Outdoorshow at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's Havilon giveaway. Let's knock out that break. Up next, Angie Cokes joins us from uh, Nebraska, I do believe, right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I should know better, but I guess I don't. I keep on learning the hard way. Every time I turn around. If you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide Scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. 
In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Hey, this is Kevin Van Dam, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. You can put up your dudes, or you can bet your boots. I'm leaving just as fast as I can. I want to go home with the Arlington. Good country music from Ah, yes, the greatness of Gary Peanut bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Man, I don't get starstruck often. And I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but when Gary Peanut came to the studio, wow, that one left me a little starry-eyed. Him and, uh, you know, that's right up there on Nolan Ryan level. Uh, Those two... Certainly left me starstruck. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. I don't know. Maybe you get desensitized to it over time. But starting out, man, uh, I thought that was so cool that they would take the time to to visit with us on the show. Uh, this segment of the presentation brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the Patriot Rifle Lineup, offering everything from a 22 250 up to a dangerous game caliber like the 375 Ruger which I took on my Cape Buffalo hunt. Here's the cool thing. All of the barrels come threaded, so you don't have to worry about that. They are suppressor ready. You can find the Patriot lineup at Mossberg.com. With that being said, uh, let's talk to a gal who probably isn't going to be buying a, uh, a new Mossberg rifle because she's more into uh, chucking spears at animals. And <laughs> chucking may not be the right word because the level of uh, expertise one must acquire to become proficient with a spear is something that I can only imagine takes hundreds, if not thousands of hours of practice. Uh, but joining us now, it's my pleasure to welcome Angie Kokish to the show. It's good to be here. So uh, where are you joining us from? So I am joining you from central Nebraska, halfway between two small towns, Ord and North Loop. Okay. I have a uh, muzzleloader hunt coming up in Nebraska in December. So I'm really about that. awesome. Yeah. Fly into Rapid City, South Dakota, and then drive through the, uh, what is it? The uh, Pine Ridge, maybe? Is that what it's called? Yep. You're going maybe. out by Crawford, Harrison and Crawford out there. Beautiful country. Yeah. Super pumped about that. Um, so have you hunted your entire life? Yes, I shot my first gun at three years old, and I bugged my dad long enough that he finally handed me the shotgun and kind of positioned himself far enough back that he'd catch me. But we joke, he says he was hoping it would scare me, and it did the opposite. I just got up and said, let's do it again. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So you've bird hunted then, too. I mean, Nebraska is obviously a a great place for, for ducks and upland. Yes, yes. I, that's what I grew up doing. That's what my family did. They're, they're upland game, um, game birds. My dad was a big waterfowler, dove hunting, that kind of thing, and coyotes. But yeah, my, they weren't deer hunters, but I did grow up bird hunting. So that's interesting. My kids don't go to school on September 1st, which is our dove opener. 
and I just they don't even they don't they don't go. It's not even Amen. a question. Yeah, they're going dove hunting. Um, I love that tradition. And Texas, I mean, we we kill like forty percent of the nationwide dove harvest every year. What yeah. is dove hunting culture like in Nebraska? Is opening day a big thing? Oh well, it is for me. I mean, uh-huh. as big of a deer hunter as I am, I spend the first two weeks in September just hammering away at the doves. I, it's probably my favorite season, and that blows a lot of people's minds. They're like doves, and I'm like, oh yeah, the yeah. gray ghosts. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then, when so you, so you probably shot your first deer with a rifle then. I did. So again, my family wasn't deer hunters, but bugging my dad again. Um, we're developing a pattern here, I guess. Uh-huh. He he lined up a friend, and the first day, opening morning of rifle season, and I don't know how old I was. I was in my early teens, but he drove me out to a pasture. We went through a pasture gate, and we parked over a canyon, and we sat in his pickup all day long. <clears throat> and I didn't know. I, I had no idea. I didn't know how deer hunting worked, but in my mind, I just thought there this, this just has to be something more to it. And so the next day I spent, I I went by myself. I had permission from a friend and what I knew about deer at the time was they lived outside and that's not even an exaggeration. And I I mean, it's the truth. I walked around this pasture for the next nine days trying to find a deer and I never, I, I might've saw a couple does. I, I don't think so, but I'm stubborn. And so the next year uh, I went back out and I was successful. I had a buck only tag and I, I got a nice little cute little basket rack buck, buck on your own, huh? Yeah. That's so cool. So then did you get into archery after that? I did. I had like a rifle. progression here to where we're going. So totally, totally. I, I continued to hunt through high school with a 243. I started off with a 22, 250 bull barrel, but I was pretty tiny back then. And so that was a really heavy gun to carry around. Uh-huh. So my dad ended up buying me the 243 the second year. And I probably hunted with that seven to maybe 10 years. When I got married to my husband, Adam, at that point, I was wanting to just I was wanting to hunt more than 10 days a year and rifle season's kind of a rat race in Nebraska if you've ever hunted rifle season here and so I told him I wanted a bow and I knew (laughs) I knew less about a bow than I did about deer hunting I actually asked him the first time I shot it if it was going to hurt when when I released the arrow because I didn't know is it is it gonna kick you know so I love to tell people that because they're like, oh, you had so much help. You know, you had mentors and people taking you and nope, absolutely not the case. I mean, totally self-taught, probably the dumbest person in the world when it came to deer hunting and bow hunting. But yes, I then progressed to a bow. Okay. And you're stubborn. So, you know, Very. <laughs> being able to, and I think that's what makes us all better hunters or, or those failures that we experience learning from yeah. that and then. Yeah, applying it to the the next time. Um, so I became aware of you through a recent article on Outdoor Life, where you apparently stocked up on a bedded whitetail buck and killed it with a spear. Which I want to hear all about that. But before we discuss that accomplishment, when did you start spear hunting? In two thousand and sixteen was my actual first hunt. Um, uh-huh. I started throwing in two thousand and fifteen. Okay. 
well, spear hunting, you know, it's one of those things. And I've never hunted with a spear. I have a spear, of uh, actual, uh, a listener sent me that he made. And awesome. he, he mostly throws it for at like alligator gar and like shallow water stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've thrown it at a target and it's super fun. It destroyed the target very quickly though. <laughs> um, but I haven't thrown it at an animal, but spear hunting is one of those things that really got, pushes the boundaries of what society and even people within the hunting community are okay with. And I don't know, maybe it's the primal nature of the, the act itself, but it certainly is something that can cause blowback. Um, and it, you know, it's nothing new for, for folks like Tim Wells, who's he's made a career on being a proficient archer, but then pushing the limits on, uh, can I kill this animal with a blowgun or with a spear? Or, you know, name, he almost bled out in Africa when he had the accident, when he speared himself and he's sitting under a tree, you know, bleed his legs like bleeding. He came on the show and talked about that experience. Um, I think all of it really came to a head, though, when that super douche Josh Bomar speared the black bear in Alberta. And that's when like yeah. him in Alberta then banned spear hunting for bears. Right. I mean, I don't I, I didn't have a problem with him killing it with a spear. I thought it was pretty cool. Hey, this guy is really proficient with this weapon, but I don't think his intentions were good. I think he did it for fame more than anything else. Um, and since, and, and like in recent times, like turned out like, like he's probably kind of a douchebag, uh, just based off of what he puts out there about himself on social media. So with that in mind, and it's kind of like the Cecil, the lion thing for the hunting community, like that was a big blow for spear hunting. So, how do you deal with criticism or hate from other hunters who think uh, spear hunting is abhorrent? I will actually respond to the haters. And I know it's, it's probably there's, there's going to come a point where it's just too much and too many and I can't, but if it, if I, if I can figure out, are they a hunter or an anti-hunter, which is usually pretty, pretty evident. I mean, that's pretty in your face. Yeah. I won't respond to the anti-hunters very often because they're just, they're if so their profile close. pictures, a Ukrainian flag. You probably know, like, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Cause they're so close minded. I mean, there's just, I, I've tried before, but again, there's just not much point to it. A hunter I will address. And typically in the end, once I talk them through it, they're like, Oh, okay. You know, I, I get it now. I understand. Most of them think and will come at me and they'll accuse me of doing it for my ego, which again, if you've, if you've actually followed me or you actually know me, you, you know, that that is, that couldn't be the farthest thing from the truth. I'm doing it to better myself, to make myself a better hunter. That's not how it started, but that's, that's where it's evolved to from basically the first animal I speared. I was just, I, it, I won't say, well, yeah, I'll say it ruined me as a hunter because it pretty much everything else was off the table. That's all I've ever wanted to do ever since then. Huh. Okay. So are there, are there States where it's illegal? It's not with a spear. Yeah, pretty much every state in the lower 48, except for Nebraska, Alabama, Oklahoma, and there might be one more in Alaska and Hawaii. We can't even spear hunt in Texas, huh? No. 
I didn't know Maybe that. for hogs. I'm guessing you probably can for hogs, but as far as anything else, it is not a legal weapon. Well, that's disappointing. We'll Very. I'm, I'm ashamed of my state for that. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. So how much practice did you have to put in before you were proficient enough to say, I think I could hit the vitals of an animal? Oh, thousands, maybe millions of throws. I mean, def definitely thousands and thousands. And I had had a major arm surgery, which is what kind of led to the whole spear hunting thing. So when I started throwing, I was having to throw with my left hand. Just again, I had said, I had yelled at my husband and said, I'm not only going to shoot a deer with my bow that I can't even draw back, but I'm also going to spear a bear someday. It, you know, I said it. And so it has to happen because that's just how I operate. So I started throwing with my left hand until my right hand basically came back to life and started working again. But yeah, if I'd have kept count, thousands yeah. and thousands of throws. And what kind of spear is it? Is it how heavy are these things? Uh, I started with cold steel spears uh -huh. and I started with what they called their light samburu. <clears throat> it's about my height. So it was about 5'10, maybe a little bit shorter. And I'm guessing a pound, maybe a pound and a few ounces. I mean, they're, they're not heavy. Same thing now I'm using, I test spears for Tim and it's, it's a little bit longer. It's probably a couple inches taller than I am, but same weight. I mean, they're not, they're not heavy. Okay, so talk about your first kill with the spear. Oh, so <clears throat> we knew I could get into the proximity of deer because I had developed my bow hunting over the years that I was to kind of gouge Adam because he was thinking I wasn't seeing anything. I started plucking hair out of deer as they would either stumble over me or I'd walk by them. So I knew I could get close enough to him to You're spear. Plucking hair out of deer? I did. I did. Oh. <laughs> like I said, just to kind of poke the bear a little bit. <laughs> um, but I, I figured out really, really quickly with the spear that I'm like, this is not going to happen from the ground. Like it's just way too much movement. I mean, obviously it has now, but that's seven years ago. Right. So we kind of had to go back to the drawing board and we figured out, you know, I was going to have to practice throwing from an elevated position because your throw down is much different than your throw straight across. Right. So I had to dial things back a little bit and go practice for several months again. Um, when I finally got that figured out, it was a mental game for me. I did 16 hunts where I had lots of opportunity, which is not usually the case with whitetail in Nebraska because we can't bait here, but I was just very fortunate that year to have excellent stand location, but I couldn't mentally make myself throw the spear. I mean, mm. I'd be up there going, oh, oh, and I just, I couldn't let it go. And I know it was just for fear. I had, you know, is it going to penetrate? Adam kept telling me this is not going to be a problem. This thing is razor blade sharp you know, gravity is going to help you a lot, but there was that fear. There was the fear of what if I miss, you know, I, I the last thing in the world that I want to do is wound something mm -hmm. and especially wound something with a spear. So I had to really dial it back mentally and just get internal and say, you, you, you got this, you put in the work. It's, literal muscle memory now you just have to let it go and so when I finally did I missed 
And, yeah. but I came home and I told Adam, I said, it was, I was elated. I mean, I was excited. I'm like, that was the most perfect miss I'll ever make because I discovered something. All, all she did was literally take a step to the side, like not even fast. She just stepped to the side and the, st- and the spear stuck in the ground and wobbled back and forth and hit her right behind the shoulder where I was aiming. Huh. So I'm like, that's pretty awesome. Like if she hadn't moved, I'd have nailed her. So, I mean, while I missed, I wouldn't have missed if she hadn't moved. So I joked and I, I put this all out there on social media and I'm like, well, I missed tonight. So the next night, oh, and I also figured out that they, again, they don't leave. So you got to have a second spear, like where you can grab it. I didn't, I had it down. I, I blew her. But the next night I missed again. And this night I said, I not only missed once, I missed twice. So I couldn't, I had to wrap my mind around. I'm like, what's, what, what am I doing wrong here? And again, you got to really think things through because it's so much different than bow hunting or rifle hunting. And I finally was like, they're not looking at me, but I can still see their eyeballs. Mm. So they were catching in their peripheral my movement in the spear coming at them. I'm assuming with them not leaving because it's been that way ever since then that they just assume it's a branch or something falling because they, again, they don't move. The last doe I speared here probably a month ago, she was right in front of me. I had, and I had a doe on the left and the right side of my stand. My stands are brushed in, but they're still there and they'll still catch movement. So I couldn't even stand up with this one. I just leaned out over the stand and just chucked it as hard as I could. It stuck in her, popped the lung. She jumped, kicked, took off. I looked to my left, the does just still standing there. To my right, that doe had jumped, but had only moved off about five feet. And both of them stayed right there and milled around for probably another, hmm, I'm guessing five to 10 minutes. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Because even with the bow, they don't stick around. I don't know if it's because they hear when you release the arrow. Yep. I think they hear the string, but there's no sound with the spear. So, okay. So the first thing you speared was a white-tailed doe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's do this. Let's, let's take a quick break. This is a good stopping point. We'll come back and I want to get into how you've expanded your horizons since that first doe, because you've been to other continents, other countries, and uh, you've got a hell of a story that happened right there in Nebraska this season as well. Um, we'll do that next. That segment brought to you by... Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee company, veteran-owned and operated. Whether you're looking for a light, medium, or dark roast, or that awesome, unapologetically patriotic swag that they are known for, you can save 20% off your order with that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out at BlackRifleCoffee.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. It's time to tell you about Protect products. Veteran-owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, Energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity 
for optimizing the immune system, and one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback, and the cool thing is they don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. Hey guys, Cable here for Cryo and More, the one-stop feel-good shop in McKinney, Texas. I've been going there for over a year now. All your holistic healing needs with cold, heat, and compression therapy services. And these services, they're the fastest way that I've found to reduce inflammation and to get to the root cause of pain. You don't need to be in pain, though, in order to benefit from these services. Cryotherapy helps with burning calories, optimizing sleep, boosting energy, and much more. I can tell you that's true because I feel like a brand new man every time I get out of the cryo chamber. Uh, Plus, compression therapy helps promote healthy blood flow. Come in anytime before 1 o'clock, 1 p.m., Monday through Saturday. Say the words cold outdoors and you'll get $10 off your cryo session. That's cryoandmore.com. Lost to the Pentecost. I felt a woman's breast and heard sway by the stones. Next thing you know, Lord, I'm in a band. We come from East Texas at River Bottom Lane. Hello, Whiskey Myers bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Uh, we're still visiting with Spear Huntress, Angie Kokish. We'll get back into that discussion momentarily. This segment, though, proudly brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. Here's why. Because no organization does more to protect your rights as a hunter and also further the sustainable use hunting model, both domestically and internationally. It's the recipe that works. They believe in it, and they put their money where their mouth is. For more info, check us out at safariclub.org. And with that being said, let's get back into that discussion with Angie Cokes. So before the break, we talked about the first animal that you speared. It was a white-tailed doe. But since then, you've traveled to other countries. Uh, Talk about the black bear hunt. I imagine you had to go to Canada for that one. So thanks to Josh Bomar, the black bear hunt took me almost four years to accomplish because I was scheduled to go to Ontario the year after he did that stunt. And two months before I got to Ontario, it got banned in Ontario. It was kind of a progression of of provinces up there. So I scheduled for Alberta the next year and two weeks before I left to go to Alberta is when it got banned up there. Mm. So then I ended up going to Alaska the year in 2018. Okay. I mean, do they have it? Do they have it set up for you? Like I've hunted, I killed a uh, black bear with my bow in Alberta out of a tree stand. You know, it was mostly tree stand hunting. The, it's the boreal forest. It was so thick there. I don't know how you would spot and stalk like through that woods, but uh, what was the Alaska setup like? Same. So it was super thick. You know, there was, you, there's no way you'd spot and stalk anything. And it was a camp that was set up for bow hunters or rifle okay. hunters. 
your the range to the bait was about 12 yards, which I at the time I had told them four to six yards, you know, and they promised that they'd be set up. But that's another thing I've learned over the years is that you can talk to the outfitter and the guide over the phone until you're literally blue in the face and they they're not going to get it. They they just and it's not their fault. They just right. can't wrap their mind around what it takes to successfully set up to spear an animal. So even when I did finally get the bear speared, it was a, it was a ladder stand, but my ladder stands here at home, they're, my platforms are probably two foot wide by, or two foot deep by like five foot wide so that I can, you know, I can twist and I can get my balance and step and I don't necessarily step and throw, but I can get my wide stance and throw. Mm-hmm. And they're typically set up sideways. Well, this was a normal tree stand that's only about 12 inches wide, the seat and the, the platform. And he had it facing the bait. So if you can imagine trying to square up and throw a baseball or a football, but you can't spread yeah, your there's stance. There's a damn tree behind you too. Exactly. Yes. It, you know, so I, it was, it was the most awkward throw in the world. And I kept, I kept trying to get him. I said, can we turn the stand on the tree, you know, so that I'm at least throwing sideways down the stand. No, that was, that was going to be too much work. So the bear hunt, needless to say, was a little bit frustrating, but we made it work. Have you ever lost an animal with the spear? No, I haven't actually. I've been very fortunate and I have only had to track the last doe. And that was just because I speared her well, pretty early on in the year. And it was so thick where I'm hunting on us, you know, river bottom and trees that I just, I just couldn't see where she went. I mean, she was downed, but I, I just couldn't see her. Yeah. Yeah. So there, the spears are pretty effective at a quick and ethical kill. Very, very effective. I mean, when you think about a broadhead and how wide it is, and you think about it, basically you're throwing a knife through an animal. Exactly. And most of mine have been clean pass-throughs, which is what I'm going for. Um, They just do so much damage. But if you get a spear, like if you're throwing straight down and the spear goes in the animal, and I know you've seen it probably if you watch Tim at all, Mm and they run off with the spear in them. Well, the spear is working itself back and forth as they're running. And that blade is just annihilating everything inside of them. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've seen lots of his videos where you know he has the camera attached to the spear. Yeah, <laughs> it's inter- it's, yeah, it's primal. There's no doubt. Um, so what what about Africa? Because I've saw on your social media stuff like you've there's a wildebeest, a zebra, a couple other things. When did you go to Africa? And because I've bow hunted uh, out of pit blinds there, I don't know. Were you in a tree? I don't know how you would throw a spear out of one of those things. And I don't think the animals would have been four to six yards from you. And for me, where I hunted anyway, but uh, describe that setup. Yeah. So Tim actually called. It had been the spring of 2020, kind of right in the middle of COVID. It might have been 21. It was 21. And said, do you want to go spear hunt Africa with me? And I was like, well, yeah, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and again, and this is where he and I got to talking, you know, we, we both talked with the outfitter. We both talked with the guides and, 
yeah, they were, you know, they were going to have everything set up. They understood how it worked. Well, they didn't. And again, we, we weren't really expecting much, but so we had to spend several days just kind of rearranging and teaching them how to build blinds and getting the blinds in the right spot. What we ended up doing was, I don't know if you're familiar with their spec boom bushes. They're kind of a tree. You can eat them. Kind of a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they're not very big. Yeah. We ended up in a lot of spec boom bushes. He actually ended up in one tree that was probably 35 feet off the ground with a pallet that he stood on. And they offered that one to me. And as crazy as I am, I was like, I, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just an insanely long throw and there's just so much time, you know, an animal mm. can move. So I wasn't comfortable with that one, but um, yeah, I think everything I got, no, two things came out of the spec boom bush and the Niala came out of an actual tree house. If that makes sense. It was, it was huge. It had a bathroom in it. It had a bedroom in it. It was in, the, I was literally standing out on the balcony. <laughs> wow. Throwing, throwing straight down out of a, a tree house. <laughs> uh -huh. Wow. Okay. So do you have plans to go back to Africa? I do because I, I felt like a lot of my time there was wasted um, because my guide didn't necessarily understand what to do with a spear hunter. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, that's just being as polite as I can about it. The very first stand that he put me in, I was several hours into the sit and I finally, you know, I was just trying to be patient. You know, there's going to be animals coming in. It's just, that's, that's how a spear hunter rolls. You're going to spend a lot of time sitting there, but I was like, there's just something off about this. And so I leaned forward and kind of looked through my little hole that I had to throw through. And there was a bale of alfalfa down below because they were baited hunts. And it just, there were no tracks. There was nothing around it, nothing. I mean, it was just, it was broke open. You've got flakes of alfalfa, but I'm like, I don't think anything's touched this. So I, I radioed the guide and I said, did you guys put this bait in here this morning before you brought me in? Or has it been here for a while? He says, oh, no, it's been there for several days. And I went, well, there's nothing, there's nothing moving here. I said, can you move me to another stand? And he just flat said, no, you're going to hunt there all day long. And I went, okay, I see how this is going to go. Oh, wow. So I really felt like, yeah, that I just like, there was a lot left on the table and there was a lot more that I felt like I could accomplish. So I do want to go back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's frustrating. Hey, we're yeah. going to be spear hunting Said, so, you know, can you accommodate us? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. We'll accommodate you. And we're by that. We'll just put this bait out this morning and then tell you, you have to sit there all day. Yeah. Uh, and I did yeah. sit in a couple trees without stands, but it it's fine. I've, I've done that before. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's talk about the whitetail buck that was, uh, featured <laughs> in the outdoor life because I mean, I've snuck up on animals in their beds and I I've never even killed one with the bow though at doing that, but sure. Shot him with the rifle, a white tailed deer. And it's a lot easier if you know, like if it's your, if you're deer lease or your property and you know where the animal's bed, right? I mean, you have a pretty good idea. You're not going out uh, on public land and doing that. I respect anyone that has uh, and, and have tried it unsuccessfully in those situations because stocking up on an animal and its bed is, extremely difficult to do 
you you know i i like if i'm going to do it i think the best scenario is just have a strong wind in your face and the wind is covering the noise that you're making as you're approaching uh to get four to six yards of a, of a mature i've seen the buck he was a nice buck to get that close to a, a nice whitetail you're talking about one of the wariest creatures in north america uh i want to hear how you're able to accomplish that feat well I, the Honestly, the stars align. Every every aspect of that was perfect. And I'll go back to we. You know, you got to remember. I I can I actually plucked hair out of several deer. Mm-hmm. So I had that going for me. Um, and it was our it was our property. So I had I hunted that morning, and I came home, and I'd just taken my husband and the harvest crew lunch. And I was coming back and I caught something. I'm like, I think that's a buck coming across the river. And it was. And about the same time, a friend called. He was across the river and he said, hey, there's one heading your way. And I'm like, yep, yep, I see him. So uh, we had a pretty good idea of where where he was going. And he was like, can I come over and arrow him? And I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) Mine. Um, so again, I have, I have a pretty good idea of where he's, where he's headed. And if he does what I think he's going to do, then this, this could actually happen because the wind was going to be perfect, noisy wind. And I Mm -hmm. mean, I think, you know what I mean when I mean noisy wind, it's just, there's, and everything is dry at this point. So I just, I make the decision, the very quick decision. I don't even shower I, and normally I'm really particular about my scent. I mean, my clothes are in bags. I shower, we get dressed out in the field, but I'm like, nope, I've got the right wind. I'm just literally going to go in a short <laughs> t-shirts that I have, because if he's where he is, he's in the sun. So he's not going to be there very long because it was a warm day. Mm-hmm. And so I did. So I just, I drove into probably within a quarter of a mile of where I thought he would be and just walked in the rest of the way when I got there and I kind of leaned out over the bank because this is pretty much straight down there's just a ridge and it was it would be straight down it was so thick that I couldn't see him Mm. I mean I was just like well you know it was it was fun while it lasted but obviously he's moved on and I just stood there for a little bit and I thought I just, I can't believe, I mean, it hasn't been that much time, you know, we're talking maybe five minutes. And I thought, oh man. So I took the, I had two spears with me. I took one of the spears in my left hand and it was rice grass. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's real tall, real heavy. And I just kind of pushed, I leaned out over the bank and just pushed the grass aside. And he moved his head just enough that his, an antler caught, I think the sun. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh he's there. You know, and I just, I basically, I almost jumped back too much where it was going to be really loud because it surprised me. And then I, you know, I kind of calmed myself down, leaned over again. And I was like, how am I going to get a spear through this? Like there was that, because again, it's really, really thick. And he's only, I actually went back down there yesterday just because so many people have been asking me how far it is. It was actually only about four and a half feet down. So I have to throw really, really hard. And again, there's a lot of really thick, tangled, matted grass, new grass come up through it. And I was, 
I kind of stood there for a little bit and just second guessing myself going, you know, can I get this done? It's really hard to see his body at all. I can see his head. So I know in proximity where I need to throw, you know, but I really can't see where I need to throw. Mm -hmm. I finally just decided this is a once in a lifetime opportunity more than likely. Again, I know I can do this and I just, I'm the person who just has to let it fly. And so I, again, took the, my left hand and the spear that I had in that hand and held the grass back as much See, as I could. See, this is where the, the, the people within our community that are a little bit squeamish start to cringe, you know? They, they do. They I think do. it's awesome. But and, what? You know, you've put in the time and the work to, to become an effective killer with the spear. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it is that thing. It's like that weird thing. Like, hey, this is how our ancestors killed things for thousands of years. Now we are, we are such a, you know a bunch of wusses essentially yeah that we have to turn our back on the how we got here how we fed ourselves throughout human history i don't get it but anyway yeah they look at it like oh my gosh you were just basically right on top of that deer and you kill it's like they think that i killed him with my bare hands and then that's mm. orbit or something it's no it's you know this hand that threw the spear is their same hand that pulled the trigger it's right. it's the exact same thing but so, yeah, so I, I just, like I said, I leaned out, held the grass back and just as hard as I could, because I'm, I don't have a lot of gravity helping me here. I just, I just threw and let it go. And when it hit, you could just hear this, it popped along instantly. And I was, I, I, it was so quick. Like you could hear the pop and I was almost wanting to just back up to get out of his sight, thinking that he was just going to blow out of there and probably end up in the middle of the river. He jumped just a little bit and then laid right back down. Huh. And the, the spear was literally, I could see the end of my spear, but I couldn't tell where it hit him. Again, I can't, I can't see his body, but I know from the poof that I've, I've got a lung. Uh -huh. And so I had to sit there and it wasn't very long, but he literally just never moved again and laid there and expired. It was, <laughs> I don't know what he thought, you know, so did something just bite me? And I'm just going to stay here. I don't know. Oh. And he never moved. Wow. And so you literally killed him from like four feet away. Yeah. That is incredible. I, I mean, you say the stars aligned, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of practice and, and preparation that goes into being able to take advantage of the opportunity when it does present itself. Yeah. So, um, well, very cool. I encourage folks to, to check out that article. It's an outdoor life, uh, on their website. And what, uh, as we wrap up, Angie, what, what's the next thing on your bucket list? I have a probably pushing 200 inch buck that I have been chasing here for three years, um, that I actually passed. So I, I could have killed. Oh, another. I'm sorry. I would get that rifle out in a heartbeat for a 200 inch deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I'm not yeah, too proud. Not, I admit it. Yeah, no, my husband thinks the same thing. He's last year, he was like, You have a bow, you know, kill him. And I had him at 12 yards last year. And I, I just, 
I want him with this beer so bad I can taste mm. it. And yeah, I actually passed on probably, I'm guessing he was 150 three or four nights ago. I actually filmed him coming in. I did put the camera to, or my phone down and picked up the spear. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is, I call him the one I'm chasing. I call him Mr. Big Horns. And I'm like, I only have one buck tag left. So yeah, mm. I'm going to spend the next probably who knows how long just trying to get him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you get him. Uh, I appreciate the time today. If you want to plug your social media stuff. Oh yeah. Instagram. It's just spear huntress chick. Uh-huh. And Facebook is just Angie Kokish. Okay. Well, I certainly appreciate the conversation. Like I said, it's one that can make some people a little uncomfortable. Uh, but at the end of the day, as long as you're doing things ethically and legally, you know, I think everyone needs to understand we're on the same team. And Absolutely. I don't look at your page and think, oh, this person's doing it for the clicks and is just glorifying the kill. Like, like you yeah. said at the beginning of the conversation, you want to become a better hunter. I can't think of short of jumping on its back and slitting its throat. Like, <laughs> like I don't think that, see, that made you cringe. <laughs> that's how because some people think about people, spear hunting, but they, they do. But so many people say that that's what I'm going to do next. And I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're, you know, we're all on the same team. I guess that's the, uh, the message there. So, uh, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. And I hope you, you do run a spear through that 200 inch buck. Thank you. So there she goes, Spear Huntress Angie Kokish, uh, a discipline that I find absolutely fascinating. And like she alluded to earlier uh, in the discussion, I had no idea that you couldn't spear hunt whitetail deer in Texas. Uh, never crossed my mind, but she obviously knows where you can and can't. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy and my good friends over at All Seasons Feeders, Blinds, and Smokers. Check out their entire lineup at allseasonsfeeders.com. Highly recommend the 600-pound stand-and-fill. They don't make them any more rugged or user-friendly. Okay, up next, we're going to shift gears, talk some Bob White quail with Dr. Brad Dabbert of the Quail Tech Alliance on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. We live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. I also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. 
Let's face it, guys. We all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However, there's a solution. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. Half past Abilene, the wind it always blows. Turbines keep rolling round, that's the sound of money. I look up at them, they're beautifully surreal. Spinning round with the humming sound. Watch them go. That's my good friend Songbird Jones bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show, Abilene, the name of that one. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for dropping by today as we're about to talk some Bob White quail. Before we do that, though, this segment brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants. Yes, they've got a full lineup of attractants, but uh, I've really been having success with the BB Squared apple scent this season, especially on the new Oklahoma place, which is weird. There aren't any apples on the property, but the deer absolutely love that smell. And when they get there, they're going to chow down. So check it out. BB Squared from Big and J. Get that apple scent if you want to try something new. You can find their entire line, though, right there at uh, bigandj.com. All right, well, let's bring on our next guest, making his return to the show, our friend uh, from the Quail Tech Alliance, which is a great uh, research arm of Texas Tech University. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Brad Dabbert back to the show. Uh, you bet. I always enjoy talking to you guys, and um, we're always excited about our research and um, really want to spread the word about what's going on. Um, always something new. And we're certainly excited to hear about the latest uh, that you guys are working on. So, uh, but first of all, thanks to Park City's Quail and Quail Coalition for getting us together. Uh, very important partnership and equally important, the great work that they're doing uh, as far as funding research and studies for uh, quail here in the Lone Star State. So nobody does more, I don't I don't think, for um, for our quail than than those two groups. So we certainly appreciate them. And you were actually oh, at I, a, you were at an event yesterday with Park City's Quail. Yes, I was. They had a, a sporting clay shoot um, fundraiser. And we also did um, uh, a check presentation where we told about our projects. And, um, and so, yeah, those guys, you know, pound for pound, um, you compare them to other, you know, renowned organizations, they're right up there, if not more. Um, with, with what they're able to do with with their uh, their fundraising and and the way they spend that money, and they're also very creative. Um, you know, in addition to the research, they have um, educational um, uh, fund things that they're funding as well as um, veterans things. So it's it's a great organization. And so, describe that process for in order to get a check. Uh, uh, you know, financial contribution from Park Cities. What do you have to do? Do you have to come up with a, uh, a study and say, this is what I would like to use this grant money for? Um, how, you know, how do you pro approach them? Or do they just say, this is what our budget is for you this year? Use it at your discrepancy. Um, no, they have a, um, 
very uh, organized process and they take proposals from all over the country. Um, they'll, they'll send out um, usually mid spring a, re a request for proposals and there's a specific format um, that uh, they have. And then uh, you, you submit a proposal for uh, specifically what you're going to do. And, and um, they've got a, a committee that um, reads those. And then um, if you make the first cut, you get invited uh, to present in person. And then after that, they make decisions on what they want to fund. So, um, you know, it's, uh, they're, they, they scrutinize, they're all uh, very well educated about um, quail and um, and research really, because they read a lot of proposals and kind of look and compare. And so, um, you know, they, they, um, really, uh, use their dollar very well. Right. And so you were presented with a check yesterday, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They gave us a very generous hundred thousand dollars, um, this year. Nice. Um, and, uh, so we'll be able to, um, use that money um, for our, our quail research projects to, to further get answers about, you know, how to get, how to get more birds on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, so talk about what your job has had you doing here recently. Cause we, I reached out to you a couple of weeks ago and you're like, well, actually, if we just hold off another week, I'll, we'll have finished our, uh, our trapping survey research. So, uh, explain a little bit about what you've been up to. Sure, sure. So we have a, a big project going on the Pitchfork Ranch, um, and it you know the funding uh, is coming for that project from uh, multiple places. Um, Mr. Uh, Chuck Rivalin is the a big funder, the biggest funder for that, and then of course uh, Park Cities and the Permian Basin and the Cross Timber Squirrel Coalition are all involved. And then, um, a gentleman named Jim Cohn out of, out of Lubbock here is, is heavily involved. They're all, um, um, helping fund our, as well, as well as the Hill Country Quail Coalition as well. Mm -hmm. And so this project, just to be kind of brief about what we're doing is we're integrating all of the intensive management things that we've tried over the last few years. Um, and so we basically have a control area. Where we're not doing anything um and then we have another area where we're actually um broadcasting supplemental feed um we're during the breeding season we're removing um medium-sized mammal predators through trapping um and then during this year during the the breeding season we also put out a um, chick feed that we've developed so hmm. that we can try to raise uh, chicks, even in, in dry environments. Um, and so what happened this year was terrible. Um, as far as, uh, you, you know, the weather conditions for the breeding season and that, um, between the start of the year and the end of July, um, we had only four, about four inches of rain. Yeah. And we had, um, by then we had had 50 days over a hundred degrees. And so, you know, that, that chick feed is a uh, broadcast um, high protein feed designed to try to get some chick survival in that really terrible environment where there's no, um, basically hardly any insects or anything for them to eat. So, hmm. um, 
the past month we have been um, trapping. Um, basically, we put out random traps in the areas of the control and the um, the treatment areas. So, and and explain how you us- trap. Explain if I can interrupt you for one second. Oh, explain sure. Explain how uh-huh. you trap uh, a covey of quail. Like, what does the trap okay. look like? What do you? I'm assuming you just put some of the feed in there. Yeah, and so a, a trap is. Um, uh, its dimensions are about 10 inches tall um, and then about two by four inches of a two foot by four foot. Okay. And it's made out of um, uh, two, two inch welded wire. And then it has funnels in it. Um, there's two funnels that are on the ground level with the dirt. And essentially what they do is they stretch back into the trap interior about oh 10 inches or so and getting narrower and essentially it's like a mental trap we call it a funnel trap um, but if any of you have seen a mental trap it's the same kind of thing um, and then yeah we put some uh, milo uh, sorghum in the the funnel a little bit and then put a kind of a, a bait pile in the center um, and those quail will wander in um, and you know then they can't figure out how to get back out through the funnel usually so right um and so that's how we have uh we're running a lot basically about 120 traps um a day and Mm -hmm. we check them three times a day because we're trying to take excellent care of the birds we don't want them in there a long time right um and uh so we check them three times a day and we actually put a lot of cover on top of the traps so that um they're more comfortable and uh, there's some protection from aerial predators. Um, and that, um, um, is, is a way then for us to get a sample of, um, birds that are out there and look at, um, how many juvenile birds there are, um, that were raised this year. So. Okay. And it, like you said, it was a pretty rough breeding season with the conditions. So the forecast for, this season probably not the greatest no excuse me it's not going to be good we did get some late rains um in uh september and we actually during our trapping process uh last week caught a five-week-old bird um and so there was some reproduction with that but um you know those birds it's hard for them to survive especially in these cold temps you know, if they can get in a covey and, and um, um, huddle up, then then they can survive. But we actually had a snow in Lubbock um, two, I think it was two nights ago between 10 and 11 p.m. They recorded a trace amount of snow. So, mm. um, you know, those birds don't have their full body mass to thermoregulate well till they're several weeks old. So, yeah. um, but uh, t- I'll tell you a little interesting tidbit. Um, you know, we have a lot of, uh, undergraduate research technicians that work for us. And we have, of course, our, some full-time technicians and some, um, some, uh, um, graduate students, but in our training, we always tell the students, um, don't go running up to the trap and jump down there with your hands real fast or anything. You need to look around really good. Um, because, um, one of the things that also could get in our traps, they're able to go in and out are rodents. Um, and so the other night, 
uh, one of our, um, uh, actually my research manager was uh, checking traps and there right beside the trap was a very large uh, prairie rattlesnake. <laughs> uh, and he was all coiled up right up uh, up against the trap um and uh, really you know hunting hunting mice that are coming into the to the sorghum so that's interesting my uh my friend greg pavor who actually did all of his uh he did his masters at texas tech and is yeah a, i know uh, him well you know greg yeah oh. yeah i had him I greg's one of my best here. friends yeah. is he really what's yeah. he doing right now uh, he runs a ranch in Seymour, Texas. He's he got a professional, uh, guide okay. service. He does awesome. thermal hog awesome. hunts, a mm -hmm. few quail hunts, uh, but mostly thermal hog hunts and duck hunts and some deer hunting okay, and he's leased cool. property all around Seymour. Um, and then I think he still does a little bit of wildlife consulting on the side. Right. But, okay, yeah. cool. Uh, you know, Greg got bit by a rattlesnake. No, I did not know yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, on his place there at, at the ranch, he walked out barefoot one it was in i think it was in the springtime to look at a electrical storm just lightning it wasn't even raining right and this little 10 inch rattler had come up on his porch to absorb the heat from the concrete from the right day. yeah and it's it tagged him and uh he spent gosh four or five days in the hospital and racked up luckily insurance took care of it but an astronomical bill that the anti-venom's uh not cheap it turns out right wow he went through x number of vials of that and yeah first he killed a snake though and then he <laughs> and then he drove himself to the hospital uh but no no greg's doing well and um yeah i go hunting with him every january uh we do a thermal hog hunt and a duck hunt so oh wow that's yeah, awesome yeah. okay well let's do this uh let's take a quick break we'll come back and dive into the results of the research what did it prove as far as the control versus the experimental group and the uh the chick feed that's next. That segment brought to you by Vortex Optics and their fall lineup of Vortex wear hoodies, fleeces, pullovers, some of the things that just highlight the new fall lineup. You can find it all at vortexoptics.com and save 20% with that promo code Vortex20 when you check out. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I walk my own road for the sake of the song. Not for silver and gold. Some may think that I am wrong, but in my heart. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Cable here, and if you're like me, you probably enjoy bold flavors and cuisines. And nobody does Cajun and Creole better than Chris's Specialty Foods in Frisco. Their forte includes specialty sausages, boudins, and andouille, pre-cooked soups, gumbos, and sides, where all you have to do is heat it up. What about high-quality steaks, smoked and fried turkeys, turduckins, and turduckin rolls for the holidays, plus gift boxes. Storefront conveniently located off Dallas Parkway in Frisco, or shop online at chrisespecialtyfoods.com and have it delivered to your door. Did you know that Orvis has been family-owned since its inception in 1856? Think about that. Uh, they also donate 5% back to protecting nature, 
Orvis and his customers have raised and donated more than $20 million to protecting nature over the past 25 years. They continue to grow a community of outdoorsmen and women with classes focused on everything from fly fishing to wing shooting and hunting dog handling from basics all the way to advanced. And don't forget about their unique fly fishing and wing shooting trips all over the world. Orvis, proudly American-made fly fishing gear since 1856. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. We're talking quail with Dr. Brad Dabbert of the Quail Tech Alliance today. Uh, we'll get back into that conversation here in just a sec. This segment brought to you by my favorite upland pant. That is the NUMA Pathfinder. Uh, comfortable in the most important area, your crotch. And it's stretchy, breathable, but still rugged enough to keep those briars and uh, thorns away from you. Yeah, it's awesome, and you can save 20% with that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out at numaoutdoors.com. Okay, uh, well, before the break, you know, Dr. Dabbert was telling us about Quelltech's latest research involving supplemental chick feed. Did that help in their experiment as far as uh, decreased mortality rate among wild bobwhite quail chicks? We'll discuss that and much more, but uh, first of all, just from what you said, you know, prior to the break regarding rainfall, uh, Dr. Dabbert, it, it doesn't look like this is going to be a banner year for quail hunters. Yeah. I mean, they're out there. There's, there's remnants of them. It's just not, you know, um, they're not able to pull off, um, a lot of reproduction like, like you'd hope. And just it's the data from our, so, mm-hmm. um, on the control side, you know, again, we're not doing anything, no feed or anything. Our, our, um, treatment side we're broadcasting um sorghum and then part of the part of the breeding season we were broadcasting that chick feed and so un- unfortunately on the the control area and we have these birds radio marks so we can find the nest and all that kind of thing um not not a single bird not a single nest was accomplished on the control there was mm-hmm. one nest um and it, it got depredated so you know that lack of food and the heat um, just puts them in uh, a process where they're not going to nest. And mm-hmm. um, on our treatment side, we had multiple nests and we we raised chicks. And um, I attribute that to all that intensive management. And now we're catching the birds. And, um, you know, in a really, really good year, when you're catching the birds and you're comparing um, what percent uh, are juveniles are in your, um, um, your catch, you want about you know, you'd like to have 80% juveniles because that's the way they repopulate the population is mm-hmm. with a lot of successful breeding. And so um, we're, we're only finding about 20% juveniles in our in our control area. I'm surprised it's that high. And we're finding about um, um, 45% right now um, in our treatment area. So, you know, there's no way we're... So there's a significant this. increase in the treatment area. Yeah, yeah, significant improvement, and and that's what we're trying to do with our. <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. That's what we're trying to do with this is we're trying to make our highs higher, 
and our lows not as bad. Mm. So that when we do get rain, um, we jump back there faster uh, into um, really good populations than if nothing is done and the population just crater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I remember why I, I thought of Greg. It's because you were talking about the rattlesnake being there because the rodents are attracted to the feed. He has uh, a couple bird feeders. At his, I mean, keep in mind, he lives out in the country on the ranch. Right. And he has some bird feeders in his yard and attracts mice. And he said he'd killed four or five rattlesnakes by the bird feeders uh, right. yeah. this spring and summertime, like big ones. So that's why I thought of old Greg. But uh, do the snakes actually get into the traps too? Um, It's uh, not as common, but they can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're... Um, the, the rattlesnakes seem to just curl up on the outside, but okay. um, we occasionally find other snakes like bull snakes and, and uh, inside the trap bull snakes. I think my favorite snake is the blue indigo because it kills rattlesnakes. Yeah. <laughs> I love watching the videos of them. Right. Like cool. half a rattlesnake in their mouth. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, not that I hate rattlesnakes, but I'd prefer not to uh, engage with one. You know, you don't want them around um, where you live. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what, where uh, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I I was interested to ask you, where does the Franklin's quail come from? Because I was hunting Axis deer in Maui uh, in May, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're walking through the woods and just a, a covey of quail scared the crap out of me, and I had no idea. And I looked at my my guide. I was like what what is going on here he's like oh yeah we have these all over the island and i was like well huh. i don't know where they're from they're like fatter bigger and fatter than a bob white but i just right. originally i was like you have bob white quail here and he's like no those aren't bob whites but, huh. uh, and they're uh and where do you see them at in maui i mean everything there has been introduced they have pheasant on maui too i saw plenty of those as well right yeah. right interesting i'm really not um familiar with those um maybe they're from know, europe or something yeah they are asia i'm gonna guess asia huh. um but uh that's really interesting yeah they have also it's like a melting pot for things that have been introduced that aren't supposed right, to be there. yeah from the axis deer to the pigs to the quail the pheasant right did everything. you did you bag any of them or no i didn't i didn't even take a shotgun i'd love next time i go i'd like to take a shotgun and uh and you you'll be mortified by this but we did a, a a hog dog hunt with a knife and everything. Oh yeah, that, that's big there. But the the interesting thing was his best hog dog was a GSP, and I was like, really? What? Wow. With, with a GSP? He goes, oh yeah, this is my best dog. I was like, yeah, where well, I'm from, we use those for bird hunting. <laughs> right, for sure. For but sure. he said it was pretty common uh, on the Hawaiian Islands to use them for for hog hunting. So wow. Well, yeah. I saw it um, in the airport the other day. I saw a, a GSP as a, as a drug dog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're smart dogs. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Um, speaking of dogs, what would you say is like if you could pick the perfect morning for a dog's nose, would describe what those conditions would look like? Oh, I think, you know, it'd be in the 30s or so, maybe lower 40s and um, kind of humid. Um, that would, um, really be good because it, uh, the scent carries well then. And, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's an interesting propo- uh, hypothesis 
um, in, in wildlife management related to that called the, the uh, wet hen hypothesis. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it actually comes from, it originates from turkeys. And the hypothesis is that um, more nest predations occur on um, humid days than dry days. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the fact that the scent is produced by bacteria on the body um and in the feathers and um dry conditions the the bacteria don't grow much and produce the scent and so in wetter conditions um they're going to produce more scent and there should be more scent plume then for predators to be able to zero in on on a nest so Hmm. interesting um, pretty interesting we've um you know I, i haven't really found that to be the case in and quail as much, but no, nobody's really dived in and studied that a lot. So, well, I will say that the turkey stinks a lot more than a, a quail does. Yeah. And especially a wet turkey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so then the worst conditions would be a, a hot, dry day. Hot, dry day. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah. What about sure. snow? How does that affect the dogs? Um, well, I think the major deal there is your birds aren't going to be moving as much, uh, and kind of hunker down and, and they're not going to be able to get to that, uh, scent, you know, that, that trails that might've been left or the birds are moving more. So, mm. okay. Uh, as we wrap things up here, what is your favorite quail recipe? You know, I've, <clears throat> I'm a simple guy. I, I grew up with, uh, fried quail and biscuits and gravy. So, um, I'm, uh, you know, lots of Christmas mornings we had that and uh, oh. that's, that's my, my, one of my favorite deals right there. Nice. Nice. Um, okay. Well, if you want to plug your, your website, I mean, I know you're not going to say no to a possible donation. Oh no, you bet. Uh, www.quail-tech.org. Um, and my email is uh, brad, B-R-A-D dot dabbert, D-A-B-B-E-R-T at T-T-U dot E-D-U. And, and it's on the website as well. But if you want to receive our news uh, e-bulletins, we send those out uh, once a month. And um, we also have Instagram and Facebook. And, uh, yep, there's a donate button on the website. We would we would uh, really appreciate any help we can get. So. Right on, right on. And thanks again to uh, Park City's Quail and Quail Coalition. Uh, if, you, if you're, you know, and it doesn't have to be one of those organizations, but I would encourage every sportsman or woman to get plugged in with at least one conservation group. And if quail is your thing, then there's no better option than Park City's or uh, Quail Coalition. So uh, check both of them out because they're doing amazing work. Uh, Dr. Dabbert, we certainly appreciate your time today. And I don't know if you're going to, have the opportunity to to get out there and and hunt this fall but uh maybe this is just a year where we 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 uh point a few cubbies and and don't shoot that many i don't know we'll see right yeah i think definitely be really really conservative so we want those we want those hens around uh my friend chuck says dead hens lay no eggs so mm, words of wisdom yeah all right well thanks again okay take care So there you have it, a little quail conversation for you today. Uh, Thanks to Quail Coalition and Park City's Quail once again. Uh, Thanks to Dr. Brad Davert. Um, Unfortunately, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. That segment brought to you by the Stealth Cam Reactor Wireless Cell Camera. 
You can find their entire lineup over at stealthcam.com. Unfortunately, we got to go, got to get out of here. Uh, thanks to Angie Kokish, our other guest today. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. And I'm headed down.